0: Hello and
2: welcome to Made by Mummers, the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood. You know, the real conversations. Tips and tricks. Products we love. And brands we can't live without. Let's get into it. You can ask me how I'm getting on with my 30-day detox.
3: Oh, I didn't realise this was happening. I thought it was just a joke when you told me. Um... (laughs) How are you getting on with your thirty-day detox? I caved in. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't. I, I'm solo parenting, and as oh, much was as it's
2: right. been, it was a uh, joke. You're right, <laughs> it's really annoying. I, I had. Three gla- what an annoying amount to have on Friday night. Three glasses of red wine. I didn't even go out and get shit-faced somewhere and end like up in a pub. I feel that's a pole. lovely
3: amount. I feel like <sighs> that is the perfect amount. But like Three glasses is lovely. You don't feel shit the next day. No. You still have, like, a giddy giddiness about you. I think yeah. three glasses is actually the one, if I'm honest. What's wrong with me, though? Like, why can't
2: I do 30 days? Because
3: you don't need to. No, is that what it that's is? That's what I always think. You know, like, when you put these things on yourself like right that's it I'm not gonna drink anymore blah 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 but if you don't have a problem with it then I feel like you're not gonna do it because you don't need to three glasses on Friday and then what you're probably not gonna drink now for how long another week or so yeah yeah exactly it's not an issue I don't think anyway
2: (laughs) All right, cheers. Thanks. You made me From feel so much better. someone listening to this
3: being like, it absolutely is an issue and you should be doing this. But anyway, in my opinion, it's not, it's not an issue. That and is why scrap the 30-day detox. <laughs> that is why we're best mates.
2: For this it reason. Is. You make me
3: feel better. And now I'm going to scratch exactly. your back. How are you? Brilliant. I'm all right. I'm all right. First day back to normal in, what is it now, three weeks. We've had back-to-back chicken pox. Oh, God. And now Gigi and Axel are in their place of school, pages of education, <laughs> um, and it's weird. It's so nice that they're back and we've done it. We're out the other well side. Done.
2: You were yeah. saying when we weren't recording how bad Axel's chicken pots oh have my been. God. Have they been horrendous?
3: Like unbelievable. So mm. on Tuesday, it was the first day I went to school after the bank holiday. He had like a couple of like teeny teeny weeny little blisters on him Mm. and had it not been for Gigi having chickenpox he would have gone to school because we probably wouldn't even have noticed them it was only because we've been looking you know like looking out for them and um so I was speaking to my mum and my mum was like right send him here like he can come and stay with us for the next few days because I knew he couldn't go to school um and me and James both had loads of work on so I sent him like And he was absolutely fine. You know, like I wasn't sending him ill. I was sending him as, you know, himself. Totally fine. Could do all his normal things. He wasn't itching. It was all absolutely fine. Wednesday morning, I messaged my mum and said, how is he? And she literally sent me a photo. And I'm not joking. He was completely covered. I'm saying like... 400 spots maybe more like absolutely everywhere he had a, a temperature man. he was so poorly and I think now I look back like Gigi really wasn't like in comparison like there was no comparison she was she was over it in like a couple of days and not really that ill whereas mm. he was I had mean, them God, everywhere he couldn't, he couldn't yeah. even walk he had them all over his willy oh, like poor he couldn't, little thing. He couldn't uh. walk I know um, yeah that's so, rough yeah he's been rough like really 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 rough and we've just been doing all the things the head and shoulders baths and the cammine lotion and all of that kind of stuff so he's there are healing but you know what like what do you do about the scars like that's what I'm, I'm actually concerned yeah, about yeah no don't it. worry
2: they go they go because obviously Luna had it terribly yeah. badly like oh, yeah. I mean it sounds quite similar to how Axel had it um, yeah. and you can't see any there's not one one pox left on her so the key is not scratching I know it's like she's has yeah. gone through that but that's obviously where this and also just things like bio oil and making sure that the skin's hydrated and that he doesn't get you're going away to Abu Dhabi so you've got to be careful when you go away that he doesn't burn any of the box any of where the scarring is oh mate
3: you're through it. You're yeah, we it. through it. It's done. It's actually done. I'm so yeah. pleased. Um, yeah, I mean, when I sort of started talking about Chicken Box a few weeks ago, it was the same as when Luna and Kit had it. You just realize how many people are going through it at the same yeah. time. And it yeah. does just spread like wildfire. So if there's anyone going through it now and feeling like it's never going to end, it will. Like it really yeah, will. Do it. And it's You can totally you. do it. Um, and it's done not gonna have to worry about it again so that's great news you had a little
2: night out as well you went to luana the podcast the oh, live one how was it i
3: went to luana the podcast it was so good i actually booked tickets i want to say a, nearly a year ago so i'd kind of forgotten it was happening um oh wow it was brilliant and actually there were quite a few maybe my mama's listeners there um and which I said, and I said hello to them, and it was just, it was great. It was such a nice atmosphere, absolutely hilarious, and it just makes me really excited for ours.
2: <laughs> Yay! We've got more news on that coming yeah, soon. Actually, yeah. so sit tight on it. We're just pulling lots of exciting things together for you guys, and then we'll let you know what's happening. Um, but we do need to get into today's podcast yes, because let's we had a do it. really amazing conversation with this incredible lady, and it was a bit of a therapy session for both Georgia and I as well, <laughs> um because we could run a lot of stuff that is going on in our lives. Our kids' lives and will probably be happening at one point had happened to you or your kids are going through it at the moment as well. So it was a really brilliant, um, really informative chat.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, whether whatever age your kids are at right now, there'll be something in this that you can relate to and take away from. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we, we quite often come on here, don't really talk about what's going on in our own lives, like, you know, the two of us, but we don't really talk about like our relationship with our kids and how our upbringing has impacted what how we parent and like all of these other things that we just don't necessarily take a moment to think about um god i really enjoyed this episode yeah I and really, me, really loved it and so. me it's one of, it was one of my favorites so i think we should just get on with it straight away georgia who are we chatting to today we are chatting to emma Svanberg, but you may know her as the mammologist
2: So I think both George and I know this is going to be an incredible conversation uh, on today's podcast. Parenting burnout, never been so rife. I think it's something like I read this morning, eight out of 10 parents showing uh, more than one signs of burnout, um, which is something that George and I, I know, we discuss it constantly on the podcast, don't we, George? Um, Today, we've got an absolute expert and a pro in the areas well, all-around parenting, I guess, Um, clinical psychologist. Her name is Dr. Emma Svanberg. Let's
3: welcome her to the podcast. Yay! Yay!
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's lovely to be here.
3: So Zoe obviously just gave you a wonderful introduction, but I wondered if you, just to get us started, if you just wanted to give us a little insight into your background and also like how you found yourself in this space. Yeah, so I trained as a clinical psychologist
4: now quite a long time ago, but I've always been really interested in attachment So that kind of relationship that exists between parents and their children and how that can be for us. So I've always worked with adults, but really those kind of early attachment relationships can be so transformative. That was how I started to get interested in working in the perinatal period, which is pregnancy, birth and the early years of parenting. Yep. and then from there that's kind of become my specialist interest so I work a lot with people who've been through childhood trauma themselves and we talk about you know how that impacts on them when they become parents it's such a rich area to work with because often you're working with somebody just as they're about to become a parent or they're looking back on their early parenting days and you know as you both know it's such a period of change it changes so much about your life about your identity mm. your social. life kind of how you feel about yourself so it feels like such a you know it is a really rewarding area and time to work in it also means that I get to work with babies a lot which is a sort of extra bonus. it's so interesting that you mentioned that because I think um
2: you know for me six years of therapy and then become a mother so I thought I had it nailed and then I became a mother and I was like holy shit it's brought all this stuff up that before, when it was just me that I had to think about and all my, my emotions, all this new stuff started coming up when I became yes. a mum. I didn't yes. expect it. It was like a tidal wave that hit me. Some, some good, obviously, but quite a lot of trauma that came up from my past and about my own mm-hmm. relationship with my own mother. When you're talking about attachment parenting, is that what you're talking about? That pattern that you then see when you're a kid and then you're worried about doing the same to your
4: children? Yes, well, so there's attachment parenting, which is a kind of parenting set of strategies. I suppose that that's different from attachment theory, and that okay. often conflated. So, yeah, attachment parenting is was invented by an American couple, William and Martha Sears. It's become really popularised. It's then kind of moved into gentle parenting. That kind of is the sort of common. Tell us about what that. Does, yeah. yeah. What What yeah. does that mean? What are all of these things? It's their they're parenting trends essentially. So if we think think about you know kind of when I was a child the parenting trend was much more that kind of Dr Spock you know there's very little parenting advice out there but it was more around kind of children's behavior when I first started training Gina Ford was all the rage so everybody was really keeping their babies in routine and then you know kind of possibly as a sort of swing back as a reaction to that very behavioral Gina Ford type parenting approach what we've seen in the last 10 to fifteen. Years as a move towards very attuned, what might be called gentle parenting or uh, responsive parenting. These are kind of buzzwords that are around at the moment. Essentially, for me, the way to summarise that is moving away from a parent-led parenting approach to what is now more commonly a child-led parenting approach. Right. But it's really difficult because, you know, that is happening within a context. Often parents put a lot of pressure on themselves to parent in particular ways to follow what seems to the kind of parenting norms but they don't always fit with your own experience of being parented so it can feel like you're really starting from scratch like you really don't feel like you've got a good grounding in what it is that you're trying to do Mm -hmm. and it's also quite hard to do that within the context in which you're living so if you've got two parents who are working full-time and you're also trying to be really emotionally attuned to a child but you have other pressures on you or maybe you've got financial stresses or you've got relationship issues you know a lot of the parents parenting advice kind of talks as if we're parenting in a vacuum yeah and of course we are parenting as our whole selves you know there's there's often other things going on too so what I see the consequence of that as being is that often people feel like they are aiming for particular, you know, sort of particular parenting approach or they have particular parenting goals and they can often feel like they're failing to get there. So there's a huge gap that can often exist between what people are aiming for and yeah. their everyday reality.
2: But it's very confusing, parenting yeah. as a whole. <laughs> but well, <laughs> this so particularly, you know, someone someone help us. No, um, because, you know, there's very conflicting advice out there and there are very mm-hmm. different theories on how you should bring up a child and you know you don't want to do too much so you want the child to lead and tell you what they need and that, that that's what I want to do but then I don't want to do too much for them because I don't want them to think that they can't do it without me and you mm-hmm. know this whole like oh you know cry it cry it out for example let's just use that as an example and, and yeah. you know if you're trying to sleep train your baby and no, no no you've just got to let them soothe self-soothe and but then you're like but hold on, I'm just letting my baby scream for up to two or three hours in the next room. It's not only breaking me, but is it, we don't really know what it's doing to the baby. So I just feel like the whole time it's been like me in a tumble dry, just going round and round and round going, yeah. what Yeah, what's, what's the right thing to do? <laughs> yeah. And also
3: people have like brand, like sort of throw all these sort of names around, like helicopter parenting and mm-hmm. um, like, what is it? Yeah, like attachment parenting and all of this. And it's like, I don't, you know, when people, if someone asked me what my parenting style was, i'd just be like you're very chill george i I don't know i've got no idea do you know what and i think that's almost put some more pressure on people to know what which box they fit into because quite often we don't fit into any box and we kind of do a bit of this and a bit of that and and see what see what sticks i find it it's really interesting though isn't it that we have Hmm. to that we feel like we have to pick a
4: like a camp yeah I talk about that a bit in um in my new book there's this kind of idea that I don't think was around so much in previous generations that you have to choose a parenting strategy or a parenting approach and to me, I think a lot of that is because becoming a parent, like you said earlier, Zoe, it's it's really anxiety provoking You know, it brings up such a lot, it brings up a lot from, it can bring up a lot from our own childhood experiences, it also just brings up a lot in terms of the changes that we're going through. Mm-hmm. So that raises anxiety and we're feeling anxious. One of the things that makes us feel better in the short term is to try and gain a sense of control over what it is that we're going through. So what better way of feeling a sense of control than to go, well, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to become. Um, this kind of parent so you can then go on to google you can read loads of stuff about what you know let's like say attachment parenting there are seven lovely rules that you can follow that might make you feel okay I've got a guide a set of principles that can guide me through what is essentially quite a chaotic experience which is raising a lot of difficult feelings for me The difficulty with that is that there is always going to be a point where that control falls away.
2: Yeah.
4: Because children are not very controllable as human beings. You know, we change all the time. Our mood changes, our circumstances change. How we show up one day can feel very different to how we show up the following day. So, you know, at some point it might feel like that set of guidelines starts to feel a little bit less relevant or maybe you didn't get the outcome that you're expecting and you know when we kind of go through all of those things we can then either feel like well this isn't an approach that's working for me I'm going to try a different approach or like you said Zoe you can feel a bit like you're in a tumble trial where you're like well what advice is it that I'm supposed to, supposed be, to be taking now? Yeah, yeah exactly yeah
3: what sort of circumstances do people come to you in mm-hmm like you mentioned that you might be guiding someone when they're when they're pregnant so before they even become a, a mother yeah. or father so what 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 would lead you to you know i guess come to you before you've actually become, do you know what I mean? Before you've become a parent. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think because we talk about
4: parenting so much more, we, I do get more inquiries from people who are thinking about becoming a parent and they're kind of aware of maybe their own circumstances when they were growing up and want to think about, you know, their kind of own parenting experiences and, and you know, how that might impact on them when if, if and when they become parents themselves. Um, I also speak to a lot of people who are very anxious about becoming pregnant or anxious about giving birth and the process the sort of physiological process of pregnancy and birth. I tend to work more with people after they've given birth, so in that kind of early postnatal phase. And that, again, that might be around, um, you know, thinking about relationship changes. It might be around postnatal depression and anxiety, bonding with their baby. But often, you know, we end up talking about a whole wide range of different things because becoming a parent does bring up so much for us. So often we end up talking about all of that. You know, we end up talking about pregnancy, birth, relationships, your own child childhood your working life your friendships all of that comes into it and then the relationship with your child being the kind of key reason why people might come to see somebody like me Mm.
2: can you ever can you ever settle or work through those big 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 questions that come up for you I'll, I'll, I'll use myself as an example and then Georgia I'd love I'd love to hear yours but there have been two big questions that I constantly ask myself during my parenting journey the first one is as a stepmother, can I love a child that I didn't birth unconditionally? Mm. And that is a question that makes me really emotional thinking about it because I do, she asks me to love her the same. So she'll say Mm. to me, tell me that you love me the same as you love Luna and Kit. And I tell Mm. her, I do, I love you with my whole heart and I say it. And then afterwards I think, because some people say to me, of course you don't. Of course you don't because you didn't birth her. And I say, yeah, but I've known her since she was six, seven, eight months old. You know, I've got, I have potty trained her. Right? So that's a big thing that comes up and it still comes up for me quite a lot. The second mm. one is around Luna. And that is to do with if I say no to Luna she, or I leave her for a moment to go to Ibiza for a few days, will she think I'm abandoning her? Mm. And that is triggered by something in my childhood that I went through, but I still six Eight years on, don't feel like I've made huge progress in those areas.
4: So, so can you can you resolve? Yeah, can you resolve? Can well, you? Um, well, I would say yes, obviously. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> Please, <that's> my job. <laughs> What's really helpful to think about is, I think we can have this idea that, especially in therapy, like we're going to go to therapy, we're going to come with particular issues, and they're going to be resolved, and then that's it. We're fixed. And especially as a parent, new things come up for us all the time. so that might be new challenges with our children. It might also be new challenges that we experience within ourselves, relationship that occurs between you and your child, where as they're going through something memories of what you might have experienced when you were the same age, or memories of similar experiences like you know of abandonment or rejection, or these kind of really big things that we carry around with us. Mm-hmm there are I think always going to be times where those things are touched for us even if we've resolved them as our children change and as we change they might just flare up for us again I think of it a little bit like a wound you know like if you've broken a bone you can heal that bone but there might be you know it might have a little bit of a tender spot so there might be something that happens then it's just going to feel a little bit achy again or yeah. might have got a bit bruised again. Yeah. And then you might need to go back, do a bit of physio in order to be able to then sort of, yeah, look at that wound again, look at that, look at that um injury. We can think about it in exactly the same way. What we're talking about really are attachment injuries. So injuries that we might have in our relationships, right. injuries that might then relate them to ourselves. You so know that this is something about who I am in the world. We can do lots and lots of work around you know, kind of changing that pattern or thinking about ourselves in a different way. I think of it almost like a little kid in us kind of just popping their heads up going, hey, I'm still here. Mm. And then what we tend to do when we're in our adult life and we're busy is that we then just shove that away again. And we go, Mm -hmm. I don't like that. It feels really painful. I don't want to go back there until we then pause, look at it again, think about why it is that those past experiences are raising their head again now. Yeah. I would say each time that happens, almost welcome it. Like, oh, there's that there's that feeling again.
2: Yeah.
4: I'm going to engage with it. I'm going to look at it. Then actually it can pass by much more quickly than if we just try and kind of shove it to the back of the cupboard, which is what most of us try and do. Because we don't like to have painful feelings, right? They're, they're hard to experience. It's challenging. We've got other things that we want to be getting on with. But the more that we can attend to them, the more that we can tune into them, actually they they bring us information and once we listen to that information then we can kind of get on with our lives really reflected on what it is that's raised that for us does that make sense yeah that that makes that makes
2: total sense and,
4: and are there any sort of exercises for
2: people listening that you know potentially are sort of nodding their heads or feeling you know emotion coming up as we're discussing this that because that, and for me as well, I'd like to know yes. anything that I could, uh, that we could work on around that, you know, writing. Sometimes I like to write in columns, like I just put things in one column on the other side. I don't know if I'm doing it right and put things, some some emotions in the other column and kind of, I don't know, look at them and and, and sort of apply them to how I'm feeling, you know, but I, I don't really know what the right thing to do is in in, in that situation.
4: I did not think there is a right thing, because yeah. I think that's the main thing to say, is that yeah. everyone will have their own things that they fall on that make them feel better. I mean, I do have a lot of exercises in parenting for humans that people can kind of go through and think about their own attachment patterns, their own mm. previous relationships, some of the things that might kind of trigger you with your own children. And then, you know, there are some questions in there around really thinking about how do you tune into you know what your experience might have been I do think it's helpful to almost think of us as carrying our own previous selves in our bodies Mm. it can sound a bit unusual one by Joan Raphael Leff who's a psychoanalyst she talks about the baby self And how, when we become parents for the first time, we tap into our like primitive baby needs that follow us around throughout our adulthood. We don't ever really engage with them until we're dealing with the very raw urgent emotions of our own babies and children. So, if you think about that experience when you're faced with you know, children have such big emotions, they can be so consuming, that overwhelm that we can get when we're faced with what can feel like a bit of an onslaught. That theory would say that that, our little baby parts or our kind of toddler parts that are coming up in us. Mm. And just knowing that and acknowledging it can be really helpful because that's the bit that makes us kind of lose our temper or run out of the room and just go, I can't deal with this. Mm. It can feel like a very physical memory. It might not be like an actual memory, but a memory in our body that comes up of how would we have been responded to when the same thing when we did the same thing when we were little. Yeah. If we can sort of pause and think about those feelings that are coming up, almost like the feelings of our own little kids that live within us, to think about you know well, what is it about this situation that is raising such a big emotion in me what is it that I can do right now as an adult to deal with that feeling? But also what was it that I needed then that maybe I didn't get? And how can I give that to myself now as an adult? Right. So we're dealing with ourselves ourselves almost as like two different people. You know, there's our little kids and then there's ourselves, you know, adult parents. And often it's the little kid parts of us that can kind of get in the way of us doing what we want to be doing as parents. Yeah. Especially when we're responding in a way that we weren't responded to ourselves. Yes, because yeah. Yeah. we might be, as a parent, i um, supporting you with this, whereas our little kid is kind of inside us going, mean, you would never have got away with that. Yeah. How dare she right. speak to you in that way? Yeah.
3: yeah. I and mean, then yeah. you know,
4: you're, you're facing like an almost internal conflict then of two different parts of you battling away.
3: We'll be right back after this short break. Because I, I think something that comes up for me a lot is parenting different children. So, mm-hmm. right, I've got Gigi. I mean, she's three. I don't know so much yet, you know, how she deals with things. But I know my son, Axel, he is very anxious, but not outwardly. So if he, I mean, when we went into lockdown, for instance, he started... Going to the toilet all the time, weeing all the time. But if we asked him how he was, or asked him if there was any worries, he would always be like, "No, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine." And then as he, you know, as he's got older, that's turned out into like biting on his um, like jumper, or um, you know, just he. I, I, he's yeah. just very anxious that's the only way i can describe it even like for not about not being late you know like if we've got a train to catch the next day he's like um, should we you know should we go now should should we go should we should, should, you know what should we do very
2: responsible isn't he
3: like yeah. he takes on a lot mm. and he's very and and it's almost it's how do you work through when you've got a child like that because really what i want to say to him is mate chill out don't worry but that I know is not helpful, right? I know <laughs> no not. one likes
2: to be told to chill out. It's yeah, so like, annoying.
3: chill out. Don't worry. What, like, why are you getting yourself so pent up over nothing, right? In my head, that's what I'm thinking. But how, like, how do you deal with like those individual needs? I mean, it's a big question, right? And I think you know it's really it's tricky
4: for me without kind of knowing him, without knowing your family, to be able to answer that exactly. But thinking about that kind of general advice that I might give to families who are worried about anxiety in the family yeah. yeah it would be so lovely wouldn't it if our kids could turn around and say hey do you know what I'm really worried because this happened and this happened and this happened and then you could do some nice little anxiety exercise with them and it would just go away in some ways the way that we talk about mental health almost gives us this idea that there are certain steps that we can take that will make things feel all better and actually our mental health, our emotions, they're complicated and they're messy and what will work one day might not work the next day. I think with children, it's always really helpful just to remember that they, they communicate through their behaviour. So, you know, they're not necessarily going to say, as you've picked up on, you know, they're not going to say, I'm anxious about X, Y or Z. They're going to demonstrate it in some way. Often it can feel really threatening for us as adults, as well as for children, for somebody to then say, hey, I can see that you're anxious because like we were saying before actually it's a very natural human response that when we're feeling a difficult feeling we kind of want to run away from it because that's our you know our kind of natural response to stress yeah. and to threat is i'm going to either fight or i'm going to flee I'm going to shut down. Those are those kind of very natural automatic responses that we have from our very earliest days. What we can do as parents is just think about that that kind of automatic nervous system response and think about what we can do around that anxiety just to be able to bring the you know, bring the levels of stress down in the house. Mm. So it may be something around if he's somebody who like who needs planning. You know, being able to know that there's a you know something visual, for example, up so he knows yeah. exactly what's going to be happening the next day. Then he doesn't need to keep wondering. You know, there's something around. It's there. It's concrete. I can get it out of my head because I know what's happening. And particularly for children of different ages, sometimes having different cues. So stuff that's verbal doesn't always go in. So visual stuff can be really helpful. But also thinking about just the fact that there is a lot of anxiety around for children at the moment. We've lived through a really difficult few years. I think this is the year that our children are really showing that. Mm-hmm. Children of all different ages, you know, we can see that in, you were talking about the parental burnout statistics, we're yeah. also seeing that in anxiety in children, in behavioural challenges. It's been a really, really tough few years, and families, I think, are only just starting to deal with the repercussions of that.
3: Do you know what I think? I think it's also also like you, I you know, you know, in your you know your friends and in, in your family, how anxiety can culminate as you get older. So I think for me, I'm like, oh my god, we need to nip this in the bud now because if he's anxious when he's twenty five, this is not gonna be great for him. You know? Like mm. it's almost like that pressure of like <laughs> sorting it, like sorting it out so that it doesn't get bad. And I think that's how probably how a lot of parents are feeling like with, you know, the knock on of the like the last few years, like all the changes and all the stuff that's been going on, is that they don't want the imp- like they don't want the repercussions to build mm. and to like t- to get worse. Do you know what I mean? You almost want to help the situation now Now. so that it doesn't get to be a bigger thing. But I also don't think that
2: you know something like anxiety you can feel very anxious one minute and then the next day yeah. you can wake up and you can have a good day and it's mm. it's more about you know you're you're doing such a great job George because you talk to, to Axel about it you're aware mm. of it he's able to kind of you know if you were sort of bumbling through life as a parent and just being like oh no no, no my kid's fine my kid's fine my kid's fine and then mm. you know this big kind of anxiety monster was was building and building and building I think we'd be having a different conversation but the fact that yeah. you look you only have to look at the difference between this generation of parents and on our parents generation where yeah. you never discussed anything with them. I mean, not not really. I mean, it, it it wasn't around these sorts of big topics. I don't think. Would you say mm. Would you say the same thing, Emma?
4: Yeah, I think it's. I mean, there's been a huge shift in terms of how open we are about mental health and well being. Yeah. I think that there is, like what you were saying, there can be an additional pressure with that yeah. because you know mm. if you then feel like if you think about kind of how much bad news there is around children's mental health, what you said made me think about how that in itself can add anxiety for us as parents. Yeah. You know, if I if I don't deal with this now, then what's going to happen when they're 25? Mm -hmm. So there is a kind of, you know, there's a benefit and a cost to having all of that information at our fingertips because we can end up then catastrophizing about, you know, what might be just a really normal anxiety. You know, we can feel anxious and stressed about things. It would be really weird if we didn't occasionally. It's part of normal human experience. I think there can be a pressure on parents to feel that their kids should be happy all the time. Yeah. So if there's anything that is kind of outside of happiness, then we can feel really worried about what that means. We can then work quite hard to make sure that we are, you know, kind of taking away or alleviating any worry or anxiety. You know, it sounds like exactly what you're doing, you know, helping see anxiety and stress as being a normal part of life and to then give them tools to be able to deal with that. You know, normalising it in some ways can be really helpful because I think that you know when we even for us as adults when we feel pressure to be happy all the time that that's when we end up kind of trying to push them away and They end up just getting stronger. And also having an understanding about what anxiety is and what anxiety
2: isn't. And I think Mm -hmm. I have been, um, you know, probably not as understanding with, you know, my kids as to what the reaction was. As in, you know, I sort of say, oh, yeah, no, you know, Luna's just having a tantrum about not being able to decide on an outfit. This is the Mm. thing that's coming up in our house a lot that she's got this wardrobe it's full of clothes. And if she doesn't have to put a uniform on, struggling to choose an outfit for her is becoming such a big deal. And for months I was going, oh, this is ridiculous Luna, just get dressed, choose an outfit and get dressed. And she was getting more and more anxious and more and more upset. And the overwhelm was becoming so difficult for her to control. And suddenly it was like a light switch. I was like, gosh, she can't look at this wardrobe and pick out the, I pick out a cloak. Like so now I do it with her very calmly and I say what about this with this with this and all guess what all of that like ex- extreme stress has gone from her life yeah and, and I, said other, so quickly, so I said to her so I amazing I'm about children sorry yeah. that I didn't identify it earlier because f- but, but th- there wasn't an understanding I didn't really sort of see it as a parent
4: you know, I didn't really get it. It's so hard though, isn't it? Because we're interpreting all the time and we can mm. make incorrect interpretations and our children can't always tell us when we've got it right. You know, yeah. when we've made a correct interpretation, that's what, you know, they might behave in one way one day and it might be very different the next day. So, mm. you know, that is the, that is kind of the essence of parenting, isn't it? You're always on your toes. Things are shifting all the time. You know, there isn't so much a kind of right way of doing things. And as you said, being able to then say, "Hey, I'm really sorry that I didn't see what was going on." Mm-hmm.
3: What's big to them isn't big to you. So sometimes it's really hard to identify that because their world is so much smaller than ours. So when you say like picking an outfit, it didn't seem like a big deal to you because you just thought, "We'll just pick a bloody outfit." Because it's nothing, you know. We've been doing it for <laughs> however many years. Like it's not a big deal. But I always think like in their world. Even like I think like the school playground in their world is is everything, isn't it? It's their whole thing. So it's difficult when they come to you and go, oh, something happened in the playground and you can just think, oh, God, it's not going to matter in five minutes. Like it's not going to matter in six weeks' time. But then when you put, themself, you put yourself in their shoes, to them it doesn't feel like that. It feels huge. Yes, and it is huge. I mean, that is their whole world. And if you think about the kind of executive
4: functioning task of – You know, having to choose, pick out an outfit and thinking about, you know, kind of that's in terms of executive functioning. That's actually quite a big task that can feel like a really big task for an adult if you're overwhelmed. It can really help us sometimes to remember what it feels like when we're really stressed. And, you know, if you think about our kind of automatic stress response where. Essentially, what happens when we're really under a lot of pressure is that we do find it very hard to plan, to organize, to think ahead to the future. That is how a child's brain operates all the time. They exist in a state that is much more similar to being kind of in a bit of a trance or in a bit of a daydream. So, when we can remember that actually, when we ask them to do what to us are kind of mundane, everyday tasks, we're actually pulling them out of what is quite a magical way of thinking into this very kind of boring everyday existence that we that we bring our children through every day actually that's quite a big ask especially if they are daydreaming especially if they've been playing to go from something that feels quite dreamy and quite magical to I've got to go get my shoes on now or I've got to try Mm. and articulate myself in this way but I was thinking about something that was completely different they do exist on a slightly different plane to us and it can really help us to remember what we feel like when we're in that kind of daydreamy state or if we're in a state of stress that actually those things can feel really difficult and quite hard to grasp. Mm. Is there any research or any studies done on a child hearing
2: arguments or being witness to, you know, shouting and that sort of level of, uh, I guess... I, I was going like to say conflict. Nor- no, yeah, like, conflict, yeah. but also yeah. normal relationship stuff. I'm not talking about anything extreme. I'm just talking about like, you know, why haven't you fucking unfilled the dishwasher? You're an absolute plonker type chat. I like you a know, plonker. yeah, plonker, <laughs> whatever. It. You know, I think I think it's quite normal. Yeah, it's very hard to operate as a couple and not have those moments where you snap yeah. out at each other or shout at yeah. each other. But as the kids getting older, I don't know about yours, George, but I think they're just becoming so much more aware of. The arguments, if they hear them, or the shouting, if they hear them, and what that means for, for them as kids or you guys as, as a couple?
4: I mean, there's loads of research on parental conflict. I mean, the, the kind of key thing to think about is in repair. So just as when you have a conflict with your child, what can be really um, tricky if there's a conflict and then they don't know where it's gone? So we know that children, you know, by their very nature are egocentric. They think that, the, you know, the kind of world revolves around them. That's a very normal state of being for children. They can also feel, you know, by a result of that, they can also feel to blame for things that are absolutely nothing to do with them. Yeah. So it can be really helpful for small children in particular, if there has been an argument for them to just have it explained in, you know, really kind of simple ways. We were arguing Because I was annoyed that dad hadn't unloaded the dishwasher, but look we're okay now and that kind of being able to if they're witnessing a conflict for them to also witness the repair the making up and now we're all okay Mm. I think that especially if we have been afraid of conflict or if we've grown up in families with a lot of conflict where maybe there wasn't so much repair It can feel like quite an alien thing. So lots of the families that I work with either find conflict really difficult, so they kind of stay away from it, avoid it completely. Or when they are in conflict, it kind of gets brushed under the carpet because it can feel really hard to go back to bring up some what could be painful, conflicting feelings.
0: Mm.
4: being able to talk with your partner around how you will deal with conflict something that can be really really helpful for you as parents so that you almost have an agreed upon strategy you know there are going to be times where we fall out we're in families of course there are going to be times where we don't get on but being able to think about what happens after those times how do we come back together again sometimes there are times where you know there might be long periods where we're just kind of not quite getting on we're just rubbing each other up the wrong way it happens, particularly when you've been with somebody for a long time. It might also happen with your children. You know, they shift, and there's just a period where you kind of like just can't quite, you know, things just feel a little bit fractious. So, being able to kind of bear with that, to tolerate it, and to be able to talk about it quite openly. You know, we're not getting on so well at the moment. You know, this is what we're doing. We're still a family. One of the things that I suggest is having family meetings regularly, so that there are there are spaces. Where you can air things that might feel Mm. difficult, um, but they're not necessarily at the time. Often we try and talk about these things as they're happening, when they're, you know, kind of live in the moment. We can have a wish to kind of close that back down again, but our children, our partners might need a little bit longer to kind of process what's happened, to think about how they feel about it, and then we can kind of reconnect as a family at a time that feels maybe a little bit less high pressure, a little bit less heated.
3: Would you start those meetings like at a quite a young age, I guess? Because then, for me, if I think about doing that, I feel like, oh, maybe I'd just start that now with a three and a six year old. Because then, when we're getting to, I don't know, 12 and 15 or whatever, then I feel like it'll just be like a natural thing to do to bring up any old stuff that's coming up and the conversations will probably get bigger and a bit more worrying but hopefully it'll just be like a normal thing like a normal thing to do yeah i mean i'll take it at any time so again yeah.
4: parenting for humans i kind of talk about Uh, different ways that you can kind of structure those meetings it can be really helpful for you and a partner even before you have children to kind of get into the habit of having meetings we talk about you know not kind of just who's going to do the food shop and who's going to you know do the school run but much more about how do we feel as parents you know what's working for us what are the things that we're finding more difficult Mm. can be really nice as a family to come up with a set of almost like a motto or a a set of values that are things that feel like family guidelines. These are the things that are important to us. These are the things that kind of make us a family and they might be different for the different family members. I would say we can also have these fantasies about what that might look like. So with a three and a six year old, a family meeting would be very, very short and probably people would be wandering around. Being something that we might say you know, this week we're going to just talk about, how, you know, what was what was a really lovely thing that happened this week.
2: Oh, yeah, we do that at dinner. Yes, the I was going to say, we do that at dinner, yeah. They do like little, like tiny little toasts or like little speeches and they they say what they're grateful for. And, yeah. and they apps. I mean, Kit doesn't because he just, you know, running around headbutting, eating sausages or whatever. But the, the girls do it and they absolutely yeah. love doing it. It's really, really nice yeah. thing to add to the table.
3: I was going to say, we've got into doing that. I mean, we don't label it like gratitude or whatever we just say what was your favorite thing that happened today what was the yeah. funniest thing that happened today like all of that yeah. kind of stuff um but yeah yeah I guess I mean I, I didn't think of that as like a family meeting but I guess that that yeah, is nice. kind of what Doing it already is. George yeah. yeah yeah exactly I mean we
4: often do do the, especially if you're a family that can have dinner together you know we often that can be part of our natural family conversation. I think knowing that everybody in the family has a voice, like there is a forum where your voice can be heard, that like you can express an opinion about something. That can be a, a really nice way of having a meeting that we might have once a week or once a month where we just get together to think about how we're doing. Are there any decisions that need to be made? And it being very much not about family admin, but about just kind of reconnecting as a family and being able to think about how everybody is, what everybody needs. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really nice thing to
2: do. Although ours sometimes turns into, have you seen the film Bridesmaids? You know, <laughs> where the two characters, the sisters <laughs> start having a life. comp trying to top each other with this. But yeah, well, I love my daddy the most because <laughs> like steady, steady <laughs> sisters, steady. <laughs> Let's talk quickly about sort of parenting ideals and the myths around them. Yeah because um, I know that you've got some really fantastic ideas on this.
4: Yes, there are so many at the moment, aren't there? And it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because even just talking about family meeting. Yeah. You know, you can see like so quickly we do get into that realm of fantasy where we go, Okay,
3: I'm gonna have a family
4: meeting and we're gonna have cookies and we'll have milk. literally, when you said that, that's around. in my
3: head. I'm like, Oh right, okay, we're gonna send out an agenda and we're yeah, going to talk take around. and then and then you think, no, because that like that is not what that's not what's gonna happen, is it? It's like, just about
4: connecting. What are the kind of core things? And I don't know, we talked at the beginning about how parenting has changed so much kind of in our generation. And there are different expectations of parents now than there were in previous generations just to be everything to everybody. And then, as we said earlier, find that when we're aiming for something that is actually unattainable, We tend to think that it is our failure that there's something that we're getting wrong, or there's something that we've missed, or you know, there's a trick that we've missed that everyone else seems to know about. I think it's something that I'm seeing more and more nowadays. This kind of sense of there being a right way of doing things. You know, I think that there is less conversation about the, you know, just the kind of boring, mundane stuff of family life. Either see these kind of really picture perfect ideals of what parenting looks like, or we might hear a bit more of the kind of horror stories, but you know they're yeah. often presented as blips they're not really presented as being you know what we know can happen in families where actually things can feel quite difficult for prolonged periods of time sometimes yeah. mm. we don't often talk about that kind of messy middle bit where we might have a wonderful moment but then the next moment might be absolutely terrible and you know that is really yeah. the essence of parenting that there are moments It is a momentary you know, things can change so rapidly. And, you know, what our children are experiencing can really affect us in terms of how we feel about ourselves and vice versa. And I think that the more that we hold on to kind of idealised standards of parenting, the harder it can be to tune in to what's actually going on in our family homes. Right. Mm. We sort of end up comparing it to our ideal rather than thinking, you know, what is it that's going on? How do I feel? How do they feel? What do we all need at the moment? What do I have already within me that can give them that? You know, we're looking externally a lot for answers and in doing so we can often kind of lose sight of what's right in front of us.
3: Yeah, I think as well sometimes like you were saying about like circumstances changing and that's the thing with kids is that they're not, like you can't predict how they're going to be. Sometimes that is sort of just, having that level of acceptance, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, for instance, the last, well, two weeks, my my husband hasn't been working and he, he's going back to work in a couple of weeks and he's like, oh... The next two weeks are going to be fan, fan, like fantastic for me. Um, we're going to do this. We're going to get to go out for lunches together. We can spend some time because the kids are at school and they're still in childcare. And then one gets chicken pox and another one gets chicken pox. Yeah. <laughs> okay? And all of the plans that we had and everything just falls apart. And I think at some points that would have sent us into like, oh, my God, this is so annoying. Oh, I hate, like, I hate this. This is ridiculous. What is this life? What is this life? And I think we've got maybe got to a point now where we're like okay <laughs> rock and cha- roll it change of plan yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. change of plan yeah. this is what we're going to have to do this is what and i think that i think that's i mean only comes i'm seven nearly seven years in but i think that does happen doesn't it and like even just the way you think of birthday party might go you throw a big party for your child and in your head you think oh they're gonna love it and da, da, da. but actually they're a little bit under the weather and it's all a yeah. bit too much for them and then you feel really let down there's so many of those moments
2: and georgia this is our whole message you know mm. our whole message at made by Mummers is 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 that exact theory and that exact kind of ideal on, on on the way that parenting should look and that perfectly yeah. curated parenting world that we're supposed to live in it just doesn't exist and I think the more you accept it that actually most of the time it's going to be an effing disaster I think it's I think it's okay like obviously there's moments of joy in there and you love doing it but then we're just winging it aren't we so I think we should just say that a bit more and that's why I think your book is so absolutely brilliant and essential yeah. because it's the non- you know, the non-parenting manual. It's like, this is a book
4: for humans and we're humans. We're not just parents. We're trying to to figure figure it out. And you're trying to figure it out while you're parenting. That's the thing, you know, that actually there is no kind of perfect recipe that you follow and it's all okay. Like everything, like you said, everything changes day to day and what we Mm. thought was going to happen often is not the thing that happens. Mm. Being flexible is so important, you know, in all of life, right? But particularly in parenting where, being able to kind of roll with that, you know, ride the waves as they so often come so that if, you know, your plans change, there is still a way that you can find joy in whatever comes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, when we can go with that, that's when we do find those moments of pleasure and joy together because our focus then is how am I connecting with these children? It's not, this is not the kind of perfect plan that I had in mind, but actually we're together, we're doing something that everyone's enjoying we're just being in each other's company like what's that like yeah love that um should we get the best piece of advice that you've ever been given the piece of advice you'd give to a new parent so this is a piece of advice that I was given parent which was definitely going to mess them up in some way so you might as well just make it your way <laughs>
3: oh my god I really like that that's a good one yeah that's really a really, really good, good one. one. Oh, thank you so much that was really like really insightful
2: thank you so much for coming on and, and being so amazing today Emma and, and I feel like it's not only been a therapy session for everybody listening but especially for Georgia and I so thank really you very much oh, you're so yeah. welcome
3: Loved yeah, it. Yeah, come yeah, back when you. the next thank book comes you. out thank <laughs> you oh,
4: thank you so much it's been happy to talk to you both
3: oh so I Love, I love a chat like that how are you feeling? May. yeah <laughs>
2: great you feel really Zen so do I yeah brilliant I've, I've really taken away some 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 big topics and some and some really fantastic I guess um, ways of, of, of thinking potentially in a bit of a different way to to how I was thinking you know an hour ago so for me that is a beautiful conversation that everybody needed to hear um mm. I, I love I love her and I love how calm she was you know I felt like we were really we were really going there with her, you know?
3: Yeah, I was going to say that. She has got, uh, yeah, a calmness. And I have come away from that chat sort of feeling a lot more chilled, but also equipped, knowing. Yes. Because it can be really difficult. Like, I obviously touched on Axel's sort of anxiety, I guess, issues. Um, or just, uh, we're just very aware of it, I think. Um, and it can be really difficult to know whether you're doing the right thing. But I'm, I feel, like, a bit more confident now that... It is the right thing to be doing. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, like she said, we're always gonna be doing something that, that fucks our kids up.
2: Oh, great. I can't believe how emotional I got when I was talking about Isla and the whole unconditional love yeah. thing though. That sort of came up out of nowhere. But it is it is it is such a such a brilliant but challenging, you know, relationship and being a step parent isn't easy and sometimes, you know, I think we get so gobbled up our own feelings around it you know if you're a step parent Mm. listening that we we forget all of the child's needs you know in that moment not we don't mean to when a child is looking at you that you didn't birth and asking you to say do you love me as much as the other two it's like yeah you yeah you be there for that like you you set you say it and you feel it and you have like not by birth but by everything else I've given her absolutely everything I love her like my own children like she has to yeah. believe that but it's a big yeah. it's a big feeling it's definitely challenged me the, the most I guess in my parenting journey I just want to get it right for her
3: I guess what worries you about about that does, d- does it worry you that she's always going to question it yeah yeah
2: <laughs> yeah she's mm-hmm. always going to question it and she'll, she'll potentially be always looking for ways to question it <laughs> which she started to do um, so yes. I feel like a lot of the time I'm being, um, you know, she loves me dearly, and I'm not her mum, but I'm I'm her mother figure. So she's but she's looking for for cracks in the armour. And mm-hmm. somebody said something to me the other day. She was actually male producer on the first ever TV show that I ever did. She's a step parent and she was like, whatever she brings to you, you know, for example, uh, the other day she walked into the kitchen, I was making kit a banana milkshake because he was in the kitchen and he said, Oh, can I have one? And she went, What well, don't I get a banana milkshake? And she looked at me as if I'd forgotten about her, and I said, of course of co- Isla of course you do like oh god Isla I was like don't talk to, you know and I start to, and, and Nicole my friend was like just go of course you do Isla you weren't in the kitchen I'll make you one now and that's it bang shut it straight down whereas my yeah. instinct is to get really emotional and be like oh why would you say that and oh gosh don't you know how much I love you and, dah, 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 dah. and it's like oh well, and then it spirals out of control and then we end up having an argument
3: but if Luna had come in and said that to you
2: I would have gone yeah of course you wouldn't think
3: like that I know yeah yeah, oh, yeah. and that's Emma the thing on. isn't it yeah <laughs> that, that, that's the thing like that's I was just thinking because I like you know I would do that for Gigi I'd be making her a banana milkshake and Axel would come in and be like oh that's not fair you're not making me one and I'd be like oh, I will make I will make you one yeah, I just did not you just right didn't Yeah. like yeah but I guess there's always that thing isn't there of like I don't know what is it. Is it it's, is an, it the... it's an
2: added layer of complication yeah. and mm. it's very important for me as the grown up to be able to, to sift through that and to be able to yeah. present in a way. It's not always easy because it's emotions, but it's always, you know, I'm I'm the grown-up. I should be able to be like, yeah, no problem, don't worry about it, and just chuck it to one side, whatever she brings. But I'm still learning.
3: So. But I think the fact that you're aware of it Yeah. Is half the battle, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely.
2: Oh, that was amazing. Thank you so much to Emma uh, for coming on the podcast. We absolutely loved it. Thank you for listening. As always, we do these podcasts for you. Oh, and a little bit for us, like today's.
3: (laughs) A lot, (laughs) a lot for us. (laughs) Um, And if you've got any feedback on the episode or any guests you'd like to hear from, then please, our DMs are always open. You can drop us one on Instagram. We're at Made by Mummers. And we'll be back on Friday. Made by Mummers is an insanity podcast production, and today's episode was produced by the lovely Charlotte Mason.
0: Insanity Group.